Good morning. How are we doing? Good? Okay, come on. Um, well, always grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to open God's Word with our faith family. Um, kind of starting out, you come from that song, which a lot of us probably know. Maybe we've, maybe we've sung it in hard times. Maybe we have been reminded of it uh, in difficult times. But I think it's important for us with the topic that we're talking about this morning uh, that we kind of um, set down here just, just a minute. Um, I don't know if y'all know the story behind this song or if, you have, uh, if you've ever heard it, if you've ever considered it. Um, let me read the, just the first part. It says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This story is uh, one of... Um, a guy who, ex- who has experienced, a guy and his wife who have experienced the deepest tragedy that you could ever imagine, and who in the midst of that was able to pen and write down these words. There is a different level of peace when you think about the ability to do that. Um, I want to share the story with you this morning before we get started um, into the message. It is, uh, it's this Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family, a wife, Anna, and five children. However, they were not strangers to tears and tragedy. Their young son died with pneumonia in 1871, and in that same year, much of their business was lost in the Great Chicago Fire. On November 21st, 1873, the French ocean liner was crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. Among the passengers were Miss Spafford and their four daughters. Although Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, he found it necessary to stay in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. He told his wife he would join her and their children in Europe a few days later, and his plan was to take another ship. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, the ship collided with a powerful iron-hulled Scottish ship. Suddenly, all those on board were in grave danger. Within approximately 12 minutes, the ship sank beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of the passengers, including the four Spafford children. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of the wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. He pulled her into the boat, and they were picked up by another large vessel, which nine days later landed them in Cardiff, Wales. From there, she wired her husband a message which began this, saved alone, what shall I do? Can you imagine receiving a message like that? Um, And on the ship to meet his wife, he wrote this song that we sing. I don't know what kind of meaning this song um, holds for you, but when I think about this story, when I sing that song, um, I, I can't even imagine I can't even imagine the tragedy, the hurt, the possibility of moving forward. How do you handle something like that? How do you walk through something like that? The reality is a lot of us have probably not been through something that difficult, um, but we have had moments. And, and in this, I, just, I, th- I think we all ask, I ask this question, how do you find peace in the middle of such darkness and devastation? Where do you find peace? And a lot of times I go from a different lens and think, for those without the hope of Christ and the peace of Christ that he offers, how on earth does someone who does not know Jesus walk through something like this? 
And so as we look this morning, we are going to talk about this promise of peace that we have, this promise of peace. Um, easier probably to say that we have the promise than it is to live in the promise of peace. But that's where we're headed this morning. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this. Thank you that you offer us the gift of peace. You give us a peace that passes all understanding. God, maybe everything on the outside doesn't look okay, but there is an invitation for us into a peace um, that is unlike any other, a peace that this world cannot offer us. Father, forgive us because so many times we try and take the peace that the world gives, completely missing your invitation to rest in your perfect peace. But God, help us to understand this morning as we dig into your promises. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, over the last 10 weeks, we've been studying these key beliefs for our church. We've been in a series called What We Believe. Um, more importantly, I would say these are beliefs for us individually. My prayer for, um, for our church, for our faith family, specifically our students, we've been walking alongside the church in this. We're a couple weeks behind, but we've been going through these, uh, these ideas of what we believe and talking about these specific topics. Um, I've been praying this past series that it would be less informational for us and bring more clarity for us personally, um, that we would understand deeper and deeper what we believe personally, yes, collectively as a church, but personally for our students. In, um, in, on Wednesday nights with our students, uh, we pass out these cards on each topic. And um, so we passed out a card on, like, uh, on God and on Jesus and Holy Spirit. And I allow our students to sit in silence and just write down for a couple minutes, um, hey, what do you believe here? Like you personally, don't think about what your parents have taught you. Think about what you personally believe about each one of these. And I'll tell you to get to read some of those because, of course, they leave their trash all over the auditorium. To get to pick some of those up and read those um, is absolutely beautiful. And my hope is that personally for our students and for us in here, that we would, it would bring us more clarity on what we believe about him and who he is and his redemption plan for us. And in that, it would deepen our understanding and allow us to deeper worship him. So um, I believe now I believe in who he is and what he's done. Because we believe these things, we should have deeper and greater assurance in the promises that he has given us. And that's where we're headed the next couple weeks. I want you to think about this with me for a second. Um, I believe the extent to which we feel that we can trust someone's promises is directly linked to what we believe about them and what we have experienced from them in the past. So essentially, if you can trust someone, comes from who they are, how well you know them, and whether or not they have proven themselves faithful in the past. So let me ask you this. What happens in you when a person makes a promise to you? All right, so let's say you've got somebody in your life and they say, hey, listen, I promise you I'm going to be there. I promise you I'm going to meet you at this place. Um, what happens in you? What is the thought process that you have? Now, I'm kind of like a practical, logical thinker. So in my mind really quick, it's firing and I can break down whether or not I can trust this person to be there. And I can come up with a decision pretty quick. But here's how it goes. You first consider the person. 
Who is the person? How long have you known them? Do you know them well? Is it family? Is it somebody that you met just a couple weeks ago? How well do you know this person? Although sometimes family gets put in the category that maybe you can't trust, but that's a whole, another topic for another day. But um, so you, you go through, how well do I know this person? Do I know them well enough? And then you move into, okay, so what is their track record with promises, right? Are they faithful to their promises? Have they kept their promises? When they've promised me something in the past, have they then delivered? All right, so you go through who they are. You go through how can I trust them? What's their track record? And then for me, at least, I come to the conclusion of whether or not I can trust that person who's promised. So you can probably, in your mind, think of that person who you go, I can trust them in anything, right? In your mind, you can picture someone, this person I can fully trust. When they tell me something, they are going to do it. And then when we talk about people you can't trust, you can probably picture that one person. Don't think about that. And definitely don't point to the person next to you, but you can probably come up with that too. Why? Because there's this history of, man, they promised, but they didn't come through. And so here's what I want to kind of talk about. If our beliefs are firmly rooted in the person that we can trust and who has proven themselves faithful over and over and over, then their promises should be incredibly liberating. There should be full freedom in the promises that they have given to us. If we don't know what we believe, or if we don't know the one behind the promises, then the promises we hear are going to be empty. So digging into what we believe before we talk about his promises is crucial. Now we've set what we believe, who we believe in, our God who is faithful, based on everything we talked about, these key beliefs to our faith in God, hopefully you and I can confidently say, because of who God is, right? We talked scripture, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Because of who he is and because of what he's done, creation, um, humanity created us, sin entered, and then salvation he made a way into eternity. Because of what he's done, we can trust him and we can trust his promises. Hopefully we're there because as we dig into these promises, it is going to be important for us how we view these promises based on who we see him, who we see he is. Over the next five weeks, leading to Advent, Christmas is coming. Christmas is on the way, just so everybody knows. Uh, Leading to Advent, we have five weeks. We're going to study five promises from our God in the book of Isaiah. Promises from the faithful one. So if you got your Bibles, um, I hope you do, because again, I didn't put scripture on screen. It wouldn't be fair if I treated the students one way and then treated y'all a different way. So there's no scripture on the screens, okay? You can write emails later. But um, so uh, there will be the reference. And if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do. Please open those. We're going to Isaiah 26, Isaiah 26. Now, as y'all are opening there, let me give you a little bit of background on the prophet Isaiah. Um, Prophet Isaiah, probably one of the most well-known, especially as we think about Uh, Just some of the prophecies that he spoke that we read into a lot around around the Christmas holidays. Um, Isaiah, the ministry and the prophet Isaiah lasted about 60 years was his ministry in which he uh, received the word from God and then spoke it to uh, God's people. His prophecy was mainly to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah, warning them against 
their rebellion against God, that it would come at a cost. If they continued in these ways, if they continued to walk uh, the opposite way that God was calling them to, then there was going to be judgment and it was going to come at a cost. However, Isaiah also has this interesting way of bringing this message of destruction alongside of this beautiful message of hope. Um, that's where we get a lot of the prophecies that we look at over Christmas time. We call these messianic prophecies, prophecies about the Messiah. So we have God saying there is going to be destruction of old Israel, but there is going to be a, an old Jerusalem. There is going to be a new Jerusalem raised up. All right, and so then he speaks of Jesus coming. He speaks of this uh, king who will come and take over. His message was one of judgment, uh, repentance, but also, most importantly, hope. So Isaiah 26, 1 through 4 uh, is where we're going to be um, this morning. It's where we find our first promise in the book of Isaiah. Now, 25, uh, chapter 25 is interesting. I think it's important for us to know this before we walk into the song of God's people that they're going to sing over and over. Uh, chapter 25 starts out, and the beginning part talks about the destruction that's going to happen. That God's going to bring all this destruction on um, the people who are walking away from him, who are doing the opposite of what he's called him to do. And then right in the middle, you have this, um, just, it's almost like he brings it back together. It's almost sandwiched. You have destruction on the front end and the back end, but right in the middle, he brings about this passage that says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheath that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. So he brings about this beautiful hope uh, that um, he's talking about in the New Jerusalem. And then he goes right back into the destruction. So God's people, then in 26, sing a song of praise. They sing a song of praise. It is where we get our first promise. Here's what it says. In that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah. And here's the song that they were singing. Just imagine God's people uh, just proclaiming this song all together. They say, we have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and its ramparts. What do the walls represent here? When you think about walls around a city, around uh, a fortress, what do these walls represent? Now, I'll tell you this. Um, I was going to draw you all a picture, uh, but I made the decision not to. I ran into um, somebody this week. I'm not, this is not a joke. And they said, hey, you're teaching this week. And I was like, yeah, I am. They were like, you got some more drawings? And I was like, okay, I don't know if that was uh, a compliment or if you're taking shots uh, at me. Um, so next time I teach, uh, I'll bring some pictures. Um, I want you to think about the walls. What do the walls represent around the fortress? I actually just got a picture because I can't, I can't draw this. You saw that from my last pictures. But what does the wall represent around the fortress? Think about the comfort that happens inside the walls of, that are built up around a fortress. Think about what it represents. You think about um, the wall around a fortress, and this one, yeah, this one's uh, pretty big and could provide some good protection. But think about as you, um, as you change up the material of the wall, or let's say that you brought it out. Imagine if this wall was 
10 feet thick of full steel, and it went up 100 feet. Could you imagine the peace that would happen inside of those walls because of the protection that would be offered inside of those walls? The depth of our peace inside of the walls is dependent on the understanding of the walls around us. When we understand what the walls are made of, then we understand the peace that happens inside. If we believe that the walls are low and thin, then our perception of peace is going to be very fragile. If we're missing what the walls are made of. And so here's what they declare. Here's what we declare. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and its ramparts. The walls are made up of the victory of God. The walls are made up of salvation that God offered us. That he conquered uh, the most worthy adversary and was victorious over sin and death. And that is the peace. We find peace behind those walls. They go on to say this in verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. All right, so think about that. Open the gates of these walls so that the righteous may come in and find peace inside of these walls. Now, do you understand that we are living on the fulfilled side of this song? We are living on the side that says God has opened the doors through his son Jesus. He has offered us and given us a way into his fortress of peace. We are living on the fulfilled side of this. When the prophet, when they were singing this, they were singing because there was going to be a way into that peace. And he, we now have that. So then we move into three and four and we see this promise. So let's, let's read this together. Now I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to switch over and go to the NLT and you're welcome. This one's on the screen because this is our first uh, promise. It says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. Uh, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The perfect peace. Perfect peace for those who trust in the Lord. That's what we want to talk about this morning. I'm going to give you two things, two insights into this passage, into this promise. Number one is this. Peace is a gift only from God. Peace is a gift only from God. Let's jump to uh, John, John uh, 14, 25 through 27. Uh, make your way. You can hold, hold your Bible at Isaiah 26, and then we'll go over to uh, John 14, 25 um, through 27. And this is towards the end of John where John offers, or, or sorry, Jesus offers this promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit. When we were uh, talking with our students on this topic of the Holy Spirit, we were stressing the fact for our students that this is a gift. It's not something uh, that we take for granted. It's not something that we see as a bad thing because it is, it, part of the role is convicting of sins. It is a gift to us to live in the life that he's called us into. And so Jesus here is talking about when he leaves, he's sending this advocate, the Holy Spirit. And what we see about peace is that it is part of this gift that he gives. So let's go to 25 through 27. He says this about the Holy Spirit. All this 
I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then listen to this in 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So there is this gift that God gives. You've probably been wondering, maybe some of you have even been wondering what is in this. It's empty, but it, you've probably been wondering that. But um, I, I brought a gift. I want us to think about this as a gift. I kind of did the same thing with our students when we talked about the Holy Spirit, but I had to do Christmas wrapping, so uh, it was the only wrapping we had. We wrap all gifts in Christmas wrapping, by the way, birthday and everything. But when you think about this gift. Um, we are, my family and I, we are in birthday season. Our girls, uh, October and November, have birthdays. And then, of course, we move into Christmas. So it's gifts galore. Uh, and we spend all of our money in these three months. And so when you think about this, I love giving gifts. I love, I love as a dad, the opportunity to give good gifts. Scripture talks about it. God says uh, that he is a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. I love giving um, gifts. I love the joy, right? You, you, you don't have to explain to a, stu- to a kid what a gift is. They know. When you bring it, when you bring a wrapped box and you say, this is for you, they know exactly what to do with it, right? No instructions needed. They've got it. They understand it, okay? And so uh, what we see in here is that God gives us this beautiful gift. Now, when he talks about peace, um, have you ever uh, have you ever had a, a child or somebody come to you and say, hey, give me a hint. I've, I've got this gift. Just give me a hint of what it is, you know? And, and they, they ask for hints. And, you know, as an adult, I know I'm going to give them a hint that either is not true uh, or um, is not easy to figure out, okay? That, that's kind of where I go. But our uh, seven-year-old, Allie, she takes a different approach, okay? So for Taylor's birthday, um, we let Allie, well, we give Allie money and she with our money, gets Taylor a gift. And so for Taylor's birthday, she did that. All right, so Allie, uh, she's got this present. She's like, Taylor, I got your birthday present. You know, and she's like waving in here, but you can't open it for three days kind of thing. And, um, and so Taylor, she's, she's pretty smart. She'll go, um, Allie, just give me a hint. And, and as you see Allie, she's like pondering, like, hmm, what, what hint can I give? Allie's not so good at the hints, okay? She may as well tell her exactly what's in it. Allie, uh, for this one, she got Taylor um, this gift, and Taylor was like, Allie, just give me a hint. And Allie goes, hmm, okay. Um, It's colorful. Uh, You draw with them, and they rhyme with starkers. And Taylor was like, you got me markers. And, and, and Allie was like, oh, man, how'd you figure that out? You know, uh, it's, hello. You gave the, the hint right there, just a perfectly placed hint. Um, the gift is the Holy Spirit. But one of the hints or the special things that we receive alongside with the Holy Spirit in us is the gift of peace. It is the perfect peace that comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, a gift, when we give a gift, it's given out of love. It's something that the giver knows that you need. And so when God gives us his Holy Spirit in each of us personally, when we have given our life to him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Along with that comes the gift of peace. 
Right? And, and, and with this gift of peace, God knew exactly what we needed. That's why, like all throughout Scripture, you see God say, say, have no fear, do not fear, fear not, for I am with you. He says over and over and over not to fear. He, he is fully aware that there is fear that surrounds our life, that, that we are placed into a world where fear is very prevalent. There are a lot of things around us that could bring fear into our lives. And so the perfect gift, he is a God who gives the perfect gift of the Holy Spirit that provides a perfect peace that we see here. And it's a one-of-a-kind peace. The world cannot give this peace. I think a lot of times we, lo- we look to the world to give this type of peace, but it's impossible. We cannot find that among the things that the world offers. His peace uh, is a peace that is not circumstantial. The gift of his peace cannot be swayed by the things around us. The world's peace always has the potential of that outcome to change. So because of that, it really isn't peace at all. Um, If you go over to two chapters to John 16, here's what he says a little bit later in this gospel. And we probably have heard this Um, He's talking to his disciples that their grief will turn into joy. And this is what he says in 33. I have told you these things so that in me, in me, not the world, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, guaranteed. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a guarantee, with us living in the world, there's a guarantee of difficult times. Some of us have felt those. Some of us have been through those before in our life, but there is a guarantee of difficult and challenging times. But in this passage, we see this confirmation of victory, that God is, has been victorious and he, has, he already has been victorious. So even the things that we go through, we recognize, we put them through the lens of, God, you have overcome. We can have peace because you have overcome. I was grabbing uh, coffee with one of our small group leaders, um, Joe Holston. He leads our uh, eighth grade guys. And him and I were talking back and forth just about this idea of peace. And uh, he said, you know, I remember one message on peace. I remember somebody teaching on peace. And I remember one thing about that message. The uh, teacher who was sharing this said this four-word phrase, peace doesn't equal comfort. That peace doesn't equal comfort. And so I would say, let's not have this false understanding of peace, thinking that the external has to be good for the internal having to be at rest. A lot of times when internal is at rest, there is stuff swirling around. That's what makes his peace perfect. In that same passage of scripture in Isaiah 26, some translations say peace, peace, which means a complete and whole peace. It is Exactly what we need. As we want to make sure that we understand that peace, the peace that God gives, doesn't always mean comfort on the outside. And some of us may know what that means. Have you ever had that moment or heard somebody say, I just had this, like, in the middle of it, I just had this peace, and I can't explain it. I don't know where it came from. Well, we're trying to explain that. This is the beauty of the walls of salvation that the war can be raging on the outside, but inside, God offers a peace that passes understanding. But I'll say this, where peace doesn't equal comfort, where in order for us to have peace, everything has to be 
comfortable. I, I would also say this. I kind of um, took the quote that Joe had heard and flipped it to comfort doesn't equal peace. That comfort doesn't equal peace. And this is maybe a, maybe a warning for us sometimes. When we experience peace the most, a lot of time when we experience his perfect peace, we can evidently see it when the storms are raging, but internally we have a peace that he has offered us. But we have to be careful of thinking that we're experiencing God's peace when circumstances feel right. So think about this. When, when you know, you're in that season where family stuff is going well, like family stuff is good, things with your kids are good, things with your spouse are good, things with friends are good, things at church are really good, and things at work are good. And we look around and we go, God, this is your peace. Like you have given me peace. And I think that might be a false sense of peace that sometimes we point to. Because you and I both know that that thing can change in an instant. We don't like to think about that, but that thing can change on a dime. Um, have you ever been outside and the weatherman, uh, you know, he's told you, hey, perfectly clear skies today, sunny, uh, sunny skies, perfect weather, everything is going to be so good. And you are outside thinking, I got this all together. I left my umbrella and my rain jacket at home. And all of a sudden, it just downpours, okay? And you're like, I thought he gets it right all the time. What happened to the weatherman? And it downpours. Maybe you're in Florida or something like that. It happens a lot there. And it pours for like three minutes, and then it's gone, and you're back. And so when we rest in our circumstances being good and our circumstances uh, being positive, then a lot of times we can put false peace in thinking, ah, this is the peace that he has given us, and it's, it's just not true. You and I know that those circumstances can turn. That's why, he said, that's why the uh, psalmist in Psalm 4.8 says this. We can, uh, we'll jump there real quick. 4.8, he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. For you alone, Lord, bring me peace. Um, C.S. Lewis says this, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Apart from God, there is no such thing as peace. So that's kind of the first one that we talk about. Peace is a gift and it only comes from God. The second half of that, I would say, is that peace is received through trust as we see in Isaiah 26, peace is received through trust. Um, in, uh, let's go back to our Isaiah passage in 26, if you still got that marked. And this is, what, um, this is what it says. You got that up there, Jody? Jody, you're doing, oh, Jessica took over. Sorry, Jody. Sorry, Jessica. You got, do you have that Isaiah 26 passage? We'll go back to that real quick. Uh, yep, there you go. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. They're singing the song, the gates were opened, but here's the thing, but until we walk into the fortress, we will never experience the peace that he's offered. Now, let's go back to the, let's go back to the gift real quick that we have been given. We have been offered this gift of the Holy Spirit that includes his perfect peace for us, in the good times and the bad, in all, he has offered us a perfect peace. 
Now, here's one thing I know about uh, kids when you give them a gift like this. Remember, they don't, they don't need an instruction manual. But if you give a kid a gift, the joy that he has and the quickness that he can get this thing, he or she can get this thing open is pretty incredible, okay? You give a kid a gift, and immediately, once you say go, they are digging into that thing, and they pull out whatever's in it, and, you know, pure joy uh, from their face. And so when you give a kid a gift, when they receive it, we need to, we kind of need to look at this and have some understanding that I think that God desires this from us. He has given us this gift. Have you ever seen a kid receive a gift and go, thank you? I'll get to that later. No, you've never seen that. It's never happened in the history of kids and gifts. They will, they go after it immediately. And for us, even though God gives us this, even though God gives us this, it is our role. Scripture says that you trust in him. We'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast on him. So there's something in this for us. There's a role that we play, but it's as simple as we receive. I mean, you you think through how God has done things and how he wants us to come alongside him. He has given us salvation, and we're called to accept it. He has given us an opportunity to talk with him and be in communication with him, but we have to pray. He has given us his word, and we have to open it. Okay, In the same way, he has given us the spirit with his peace, and we have to walk through the doors. He can give it, but we have to receive it. Dwight Moody says this, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that's already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. And my guess is a lot of people probably stand on the outside of the gates, looking into the fortress, going, I know that there is peace found in there. I know that it's in there. I've heard about it. I know about it. I've read the scripture that says everything about it. But there is still uh, for us left to walk into the peace that he offers us. Um, how we do this. Um, Tim Keller is one of my favorite pastors, uh, authors. Tim Keller, he calls these disciplines of peace. Disciplines of peace. I'm going to give you two of them uh, this morning. And they come from Philippians 4. So let's jump over to Philippians 4 real quick. This is our last passage. And then I want to read a, read a story real quick for you guys. Philippians 4, Tim Keller, again, calls them disciplines of peace. Um, and he says, two disciplines of peace. Thinking and thanking. Thinking and thanking. For us to, to find peace, we engage in these. So Philippians 4, we'll start Philippians 4, 8 through 9, talking about thinking. Here's what, uh, here's what Paul says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And here it is. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. He says to think about the things of God. Think about the things that are noble, pure, right, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things when you 
when you talk about peace of mind, a lot of philosophers would probably tell you to silence the things in your mind, all right? Maybe retreat for a season, silence your mind, move everything out, don't listen to the critic, don't listen to all that stuff. That's what philosophers would tell us, but But Scripture says that we are called not to silence our thoughts, but to move our thoughts to a different location. Because a lot of times the things that bring us unrest or troubles is when we're thinking about the things that are not noble, pure, right, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And so he says, move your thoughts. So discipline of peace, number one, is thinking. And then the passage before in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, here's what we see. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. This second discipline of peace is just a habit of giving thanks. It helps you to take your mind off the war that is around you, and bring it internally to the things that God has offered you. We did this uh, with students um, one time, and I'm not going to ask students uh, to do something and not ask you to do it as well, but here's what I would encourage, and think about this for a second. What if, uh, what if you, maybe you just took a week, maybe this is a weekly, this challenge for this next week, and you start your day, and you get a piece of paper, and maybe you number it 25, or 50, or maybe even 100 and you start your day, right, before uh, any, anybody gets up. Maybe you got kids in the house before the kids uh, get up because you know that's the only time of silence that you're going to have. It's the only opportunity to think and thank that you're going to have. And so before the kids get up, you wake up and you sit by yourself and you write out 25, 50, 100 things that you are thankful for. Like if you just list off things that you have to be thankful for. Now, I know it sounds daunting. You're like, 100 things, good. But I promise you, once you get going, you're going to fly. You're not going to stop, and, it's going to, and they're going to keep coming. Now, let me ask you this. If that was a discipline of yours, do you think that would change your day? I think that would change our day. I think we would be able to rest in the peace that he has given us. He would allow us to think and thank um, him and the things that he has done for us. Salvation being the walls. Um, I'm going to close with this. I um, uh, got um, breakfast with one of our 11th grade guys recently. And this guy's awesome. He's awesome. He's such a good guy. Um, And he was uh, telling me, he was kind of pouring out his heart a little bit, uh, just about some of the things that he was going through. Um, He was talking about, I was amazed, fully convicted as I was talking um, to this 11th grade guy. He was talking about how he was uh, intentionally and deeply praying, like like an hour a day for a specific uh, person in their family, a specific thing that was going on in their life. And, um, And so he was praying through this, and he was sharing this with me. And at the end, he said, God's been teaching me things about just finding peace in him. And so when I was thinking about this morning, I was like, man, I need to go back to him. So uh, I reached out to him. He couldn't be here this morning, um, but uh, he agreed to just write up a little bit of what God has been teaching him. This is from uh, the heart of an 11th grade guy. So um, here we go. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, writes James. The heading in my Bible calls this passage trials and temptations. I've always experienced the temptation aspect of the Christian life. We combat temptation by recognizing God as a good father who gives good gifts to his children. So why would we settle for something of the flesh? However, recently, learning to navigate a season of consistent trials and attacks from the enemy has proved a challenge I was not accustomed to. Many friends having health crisis, broken unity that needed mending, and the challenge to reevaluate my intentionality in prayer have been stressful things that I needed to bring to God, and it has been neither easy nor instant. It seems that Satan has been trying to wear me down so I, forgot to lo- so I forget to love. The lies the enemy feeds us that we need to feel happy to be content, that we need to know that God will fulfill our plans or otherwise we cannot trust him because we are not, we are not in his best interest, that sin hurts and it's God's fault if only God took our prayers seriously. But thank him that we could never be the hero of our stories, that we don't get the kind of empty gratification that we think we deserve. What I've needed to have peace in these situations has been to actively, what I've needed to have peace in these situations has been to actively pursue trust in him. It's an 11th grade guy. Where I once believed it was a passive trust, I've recognized the need to constantly ask him for wisdom first. When struggling to have clarity amidst trials, I've looked to James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When I've needed the assurance of trusting God with my path, I've looked at Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for He only, uh, for only he will release me from the snare. He finishes with this. I still do not have a complete understanding of peace or how to trust God with everything, but I want to start by trusting him with guidance for my everyday choices. May the change in our hearts encourage us to continually love God and love others, and may that open our eyes to his faithfulness. May his promises, his peace, open our eyes to his faithfulness. I love that. I love that. So promise number one is this promise of peace. When we trust him, when we trust him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for um, that promise. Um, God, it is a good and faithful and true promise. And we can trust you. We can trust you. God, we know who you are. We know what you've done. So God, um, just give us, give us that peace. Allow us to walk into it. Um, build up the walls with the fortress of salvation, the walls of salvation, God, that we may trust in you in anything and everything, in the good and the bad, in all of life, that our peace would not come from anything circumstantial that is outside of you, but that, it would, that we would rest our peace in you and you alone. God, thank you uh, for the gift of that, for the gift of your spirit. Um, God, give us that as, uh, as we walk in faith um, in you. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.